This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, former Barry counselor Mike McCann joins us to talk about the financing for the Love Barry sign, what he has planned for the money raised over and above the cost of the sign itself. Where are we at in terms of COVID vaccinations and boosters? Who should be getting one? Should you still be getting one? Social media has added a new dimension to policing. Some good, some not so much. We take a look at the impact. The 705 24-hour window is back in an effort to raise funds for a variety of services for people in need of advice or a shoulder to lean on, services that are offered for free, and rethinking the streetscape to cut down on speeding through residential neighborhoods. But first, the Barry Colts have survived the first round of the playoffs against Hamilton and are gearing up for a conference semifinal against the North Bay Battalion. We get a look at how they got there and what to expect in the coming days with Barry 360's Will Conkin and Colts broadcaster Gene Pereira. So uh, one round done, another to come. The Barry Colts took down the Hamilton Bulldogs 4-2 in the first round matchup, capped by an intense Game 6, which saw the clock ticking down from 10 seconds left in the game. Things tied up, and uh, Ethan Cardwell took a pass from Evan Vierling, netted it his third of the evening to give the Barry Colts the 5-4 win. And the series was theirs as well. Gene, um, maybe just uh, tell us about the play itself and just the, the atmosphere. Uh, you know, I, I mean, this series was just, uh, you know, it's one of those strange series that uh, it started with a 10-2 romp, and you kind of thought, you know, after Barry won the first two games, it was going to be a quick series, but credit to Hamilton. They found a way to win two games at home. Barry came home for uh, game five, uh, did what it had to, and then were in a position last night to uh, to wrap up the series, and things didn't start well for them. They got down 3 nothing and... Uh, actually had a goal disallowed that would have made it four nothing, but uh, the Colts really came to life. I think uh, you know partially through that first period they were down two nothing, gave up an early one in the in the second, but uh, by then they had really been carrying play. And of course, uh, you know the, the the big veterans leading the way, especially the duos Evan Veerling and Cardwell. These guys have been. They've been magic all year, and, uh, you know, Card- uh, Cardwell with his finishing abilities, just, uh, you know, taking advantage of the passing plays by Veerling. And, uh, you know, the two overagers who've had a huge years, um, you know, both among the top scorers in the Ontario Hockey League really coming through last night, uh, you know, when the Colts needed it. And, uh, you know, like you said, Will, that uh, uh, they were up 4-3. to three. They actually took the lead. Hamilton tied it late, 3-16, and a goal by Larnes. And, you know, you're kind of thinking, okay, it's going to go over time, a face-off in the Barry zone. And, uh, you know, the line of Frasca, Verling, and Cardwell out there again. And uh, they got the draw. Verling was able to get the puck over the blue line and just fired across to Cardwell. And, uh, you know, as Marty Williams had said, you know, uh, Elite scorers find a way, and you know Cardwell does what he does best, which is score goals. And uh, he fired his third of the night, and uh, for the game winner, with just under nine point nine seconds. And then after he kind of skated down the ice and did the old shush to the crowd, um, you know, with his finger to his lips, and uh, I think it was, uh, you know, for the Colts, it, it put uh, an end to it. What was been a tough series, a little bit of adversity, but. Uh, you know, they're able to uh, finally get rid of that Hamilton team that you know, had a few players remaining from last year's championship team but was a rebuilding team. And credit to Jay McKee and his uh, Hamilton Bulldogs who 
really made things tough on the Barry Colts. So now the Colts face a familiar foe in the uh, North Bay Battalion. What's the Colts' game plan heading into this? Yeah, this is going to be another, I think, long series. Uh, you know, I mean, these two teams, they've been close uh, all year. Barry chased uh, North Bay for Central Division title. And, you know, credit to the battalion, they were able to win the head-to-head matchups, won the season series handily, and although all the games were close, uh, but, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with North Bay, I mean, uh, you get a team with very good goaltending and, um, Steven Sentis and, uh, uh, just a solid, uh, group up front, but, you know, the, the likes of Bloom and McDonald and, and, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just goes from there. And I mean, these two teams have been kind of at it. And I think they've been on a collision course all year. You kind of had that feeling that they're going to meet in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, it's, it was expected, and, and here we are. And this should be a heck of a series, one the fans really like. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think for the Colts, again, it's uh, uh, unlike with Hamilton, uh, you know, they can't afford to make some of the defensive mistakes they made. Uh, North Bay is just, uh, I think, just a, a lot tougher team to score against. So um, I think you'll see a, a few more low-scoring games than what we saw in, in this opening round. Do you think that uh, the key players for the Colts will be those big-name ones, just like how uh, they uh, produced in Hamilton? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if there's an edge in, in this series for the very Colts, I think it's certainly that they have more game-breakers. And, uh, you know, when you look, obviously, Brant Clark leads all scores in the Ontario Hockey League in, in playoff scoring, just despite, despite only playing, you know, five games. And, uh He's just been that good and dominant. And then obviously the duo of uh, Veerling and Cardwell, uh, you know, they, you look back, I mean, they missed the first game uh, of this series and, uh, you know, Barry is still able to win 10-2. But last night when the chips were on the line, the two veterans really came up big and four points uh, for, for, for each, three goals and assists for Cardwell, four assists for Veerling. You know, they've been doing this all year. They've been stepping up for Barry. Uh, in big times, and uh, I expect them to, to continue to do that. But these, those three, essentially, is, uh, especially for Barry, they're just game to uh, type. You know, anytime the puck's on the stick, something special can happen. And uh, uh, you know, there are a few guys in the Ontario Hockey League can really kind of, kind of do that and take the game into account for, uh, with the puck on their own stick. And uh, I think these are three game breaker types that you know could prove to be the difference. Well, yeah, we could really see this going the distance. A lot of good um, parts, moving parts and, uh, on both teams that can make to uh, a very good uh, very good matchup here. Well, uh, we'll, ca- we'll catch up uh, next week to see how the Colts fared in their first couple of games against the battalion. Thanks again, Gene. Really appreciate it. That's great, Will. Always glad to be on. The first two games of the series are in North Bay this Friday and Sunday. We've seen traffic calming measures in various parts of Barrie, some permanent, some pop up every spring, sometimes in different areas. There's been talk of speed and red light cameras, but Ward 9 Councillor Sergio Morales thinks redesigning the streets might help. He's with our Ian McLennan. Council, recently you became a bit of a road warrior. Things that you saw that um, might need some changing, you zeroed in on uh, the south end area of the city, which is going to be developed. Uh, what, what are your concerns about some of the streets in the city? 
I think a lot, speeding has always been issues, and it's only been getting worse everywhere. And one of the main、uh, contributors to speeding and unsafe roads is how big we're making our roads. We're designing our neighborhood roads、uh, almost like highways. And I think Barry Council has an opportunity to make sure we don't make that same mistake in the new areas that are being developed in Barry, and really use that as an experience to maybe expand it to the rest of the city. So we're not talking roads like Duckworth or Bayfield Street. What, what roads can you give us as an example in the city that stand out that you've seen? The technical term is collector roads, so minor collector and major collector. So that would include roads、um, such as、um, Dean Avenue.、Uh, that would include roads such as Country Lane、uh, in the north end, so people could understand a little bit better. That w- that would include roads such as Johnson,、uh, such as a、um, couple of.、Uh, Livingston West per se, so it's really about right sizing the size of the road. You don't need lanes that are extremely wide because the goal of those roads is not to move cars as quickly as possible. They are neighborhood roads essentially, so we need to design them in safer ways. And this is going to keep drivers safer. This is going to keep pedestrians safer. This is going to keep residents who live on those streets safer as well. Give an example, Dean Avenue. How many lanes is it, or is supposed to be? What 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 stands out there that you know could be should have been done? Maybe. Great, great question. So, at the, initially, when Dean Avenue was designed, it had four lanes. So now we did the road diet that people have seen around Barry, but that the road diet essentially meant that they left two lanes of travel, one turning lane, and created two bike lanes. And by bike lanes, I mean.、Uh, It was painted on the ground, so it's they did not reduce the width of the road. So essentially, even though the road diet has helped from the previous four lanes, it's still an oversized road. What the initiative that I kind of started is: Do we really need that much pavement on the road? Why don't we take that that space and push it towards the curb? And that can include doing raised bike lanes, meaning getting them off the road. So this is a win-win for cyclists. This is a win-win for people who think that it's just not a compatible use of having cars besides bikes. It increases safety, and by pushing the bike lanes at, to at grade with the sidewalk, you're actually reducing the size of the road, and also the actual aisle of travel can be reduced by a couple of centimeters, which goes a long way. And this does not affect、uh, Young Street, Bayfield, Mapleview. That that is not the intention. The main thoroughfares, right? Correct. Those are meant to move traffic fast. So it's really about applying the right approach. At the right location and benefiting everybody. And、um, do you have any examples where you've seen this already? You know, it's already been done in, say, in, in Ontario or Canada. Waterloo Kitchener area is really good at this、uh, about kind of taking the bike lanes out of the road, get them out. They don't belong there. It's not safe for cyclists.、Uh, it's not compatible with cars and、uh, and putting them at grade of the sidewalk. There's also a couple examples in Thornhill、um, that 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 we've taken a look at. And the the big opportunity is this. We haven't built the roads in some of these annex lands yet. The secondary plan. Right. So if we haven't built the roads, let's do them right. Because all we're going to do is get phone calls in the future, as we are now,、uh, and we're getting phone calls saying slow down traffic, put up a speed bump, put up a radar board, put up a cop. All of those are band aid solutions, and none of them actually fix the root of the issue. So we have an opportunity to get it done right. And those areas of the city you're talking about that have not been developed. What, what for people who aren't familiar? What what area are we talking about in Barry? Essentially south of Mapleview. So that needs the old Innisfil, is it?、Uh, 
Correct. Correct. Yeah. New Barry, if now New for Barry, the last yeah. over a decade, but yeah. What was the outcome of you know your motion, and what what is the next? Uh, what's the direction that city staff has been given? Council unanimously supported the motion, so I'm very very thankful uh, to Mayor Nettle and all members of council on that. I know people provided different commentary as well. Uh, Council Reitma provided some commentary about how he would love to see this in his own ward in the North End, um, and then Councilor and then Mayor Nettle uh, also talked about uh, just that this is the right approach for safety uh, for everybody as well. So the next step is staff are going to look at review the road widths, review the right of way in general, but specifically the road widths to see what the opportunity is. They're going to come back with recommendations about the sizing. Uh, this is, it's a very technical exercise, but for mm-hmm. people who want to take a t- takeaway, we don't need to design more through, uh, through fares in our neighborhoods, no more highways in our neighborhoods, design them the way uh, that, uh, that they should be for our neighborhoods. It's safe for pedestrians. It's safe for drivers and homeowners alike. Is there anything that can be done with what's already there? Um, can anything be tinkered with? So there are opportunities to do that, uh, but they, they don't come cheap. So you can re- reconstruct an entire road. What that means is that grass portion that people are used to, you can remove that curb, bring out the grass essentially onto the pavement or where the bike lane is or the oversize and build out the curb onto the road but you're doing that for however long you want to on that road. That's one permanent solution and there's a cost to that. Some of the other options are painting bike lanes or putting no parking and creating a bit of a parking zone. Uh, Some other options can include putting um, concrete planters. So think of a planter that's both decorative, but also for the purposes of speed reduction, you can put plastic bollards um, and there's, there's other ways of doing that but it doesn't get to the root of the issue and the root of the issue is our roads are the asphalt is oversized and it's uh, encourages speeding and unsafe uh, conditions barry ward nine counselor sergio morales in conversation with barry 360's ian mclennan have you kept on top of covid boosters do you know how many you've had when you should get another Queen's Park came out with some guidance last week. Barry 360's MJ gets to the point with Michelle Phillips, acting manager of the COVID immunization program at the Simcoe Muskoka District Health Unit. So here we are, a um, couple years now since um, immunizations have, have been around. I guess it's been about two years. And lots of people have gotten their, their shots and, and their boosters. I think there's some confusion about how often do we still get the vaccinations for COVID-19? It depends on a number of factors for each individual at this point. As of now, individuals who are five years and older who have not yet received a, a booster dose since September 1st, back in the fall, the recommendation remains that those individuals um, would get their booster as long as it's been six months since their previous immunization or since a COVID back, um, COVID infection. Yeah, I think where the confusion was, was, you know, a lot in the beginning, there was like, you know, you had your first and then your second booster, and then they came out with your your third booster. Um, do you see this continuing on? So basically, if it's been six months, you're, you're always going to be due for your other booster? Not necessarily. Um, like I mentioned, it's, it will be very specific to the individual, their age, their health condition, um, you know, perhaps where they're living, if they are living in long-term care retirement. So it, it, it is different. Um, so right now, um, the recommendation is for anyone who has not received 
their fall booster, which is a booster since September 1st, 2022, that they go ahead and get their booster dose. And really, you know, recommendations for others who are not high risk, but they've already received the booster since September 1st, there will be more information closer to the fall of 2023 about next steps or a potential fall booster. And what do you see um, in the, the plans going forward? I mean, in the fall, that's always such a dicey time of year. Um, you know, it used to be all about like flu vaccinations and then now we have COVID. Is this something that people can typically get together that they're going to be able to just kind of get it one and done when the fall comes around? Yeah, right now, anyone six months and older can receive a COVID vaccine at the same time or at any time or before or after most other vaccines. And I know it's it's really hard to say. It's like it's like a crystal ball. Do you ever see it being a um, a thing where people the COVID vaccine will just be sort of rolled into their annual flu shot? So it's a once a year type program, and then and then done. As opposed to constantly worrying about the the, the, the six month timeline. It is hard to say. Um, you know, at this point, we're looking to the fall to um, think about recommendations based on the COVID um, activity in the community at the time, the uh, uptake of vaccine in the population overall. So it's hard to say, but, you know, there will be more information coming about a potential fall booster as we get closer to the fall. It is always sort of like a waiting game and seeing how how these numbers, how these numbers are doing and and, and new technologies with um, the vaccines, too. Is that sort of (laughs) what you guys, especially you guys like in the health unit you're, you're, you're dealing with? Well, we're always watching the numbers. We're always watching what the vaccination rates are, what the hospitalization rates are, unfortunately, how many people are still dying from COVID. So you're right. We are always watching the numbers. But it is important for people to keep on top of their COVID-19 vaccines because we do know through the evidence that, you know, continually watching is that vaccine protection decreases over time. And for some people, depending on their health or higher risk groups, that can happen more quickly. So staying up to date with vaccination over time continues to be the best defense um, against COVID-19. And, um, you know, it can really improve protection against the severe outcomes and also reduce the risk of becoming infected and therefore reduce the risk of the post-COVID-19 conditions like long covid People who are over 65 or have a medical condition, regardless of the strain that they might contract, like which Omicron uh, COVID-19 strain they might contract, they can still, you know, become seriously ill, become hospitalized, and their their risk for death increases. And we're still seeing um, illness weekly here in Simcoe, Muskoka, especially in the higher risk groups. It is important to stay up to, to date with your immunizations. And... To remind people that if they have symptoms for COVID, is to get tested, even at the home test, because there is one line of defense that's very effective, and that's the oral medication of Paxlovid in the event that somebody does test positive. So it, it is important for people to continue monitoring their health as well, regardless of what strain of Omicron is circulating. Michelle Phillips is acting manager of the COVID immunization program at the Simcoe-Muskoka District Health Unit. 
What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began in mid-July last year, introduced you to Canadian singer-songwriter Elijah Woods, met eight-year-old Morgan Mansfield, who's trying to save the monarch butterfly, and helped a local group find storage space for items collected to help Ukrainian refugees who have made the Barry area their new home. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to what Barry's talking about through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, what's happening with the extra money raised for the Love Barry sign? Would you sit in a downtown window for 24 hours if the cause was right? And how social media is impacting policing? Now this. It's cool to care. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Cool to Care is brought to you by the Peggy Hill Team. Keeping it real all the way to sold. Reach out now at PeggyHill.com. It's Cool to Care with 107.5 Cool FM. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry360. I'm Dan Blakely. As if policing was not tough enough, enter social media. Everyone, it seems, quick to point out police activity in their neighborhood, not always accurate in their account, which can hinder the work of police. At the same time, Barry Police Corporate Communications Coordinator Peter Leon says police have found their own social media accounts to be valuable tools in keeping the public informed. For the Barry Police Service, it is an incredible tool for us to reach out into the community. I, I just checked. Uh, we have over 62,000 followers on Twitter close to 30,000 on Facebook. For us, it's an incredible tool to reach out to the community, to keep them advised about what is happening, what we are doing as a police service, and trends that we're seeing as well. It's it's a, a tool to communicate uh, good things and, sadly, bad things as well. The, the problem that, that arises is with the misinformation that gets put out there. We do our best to make sure we've got accurate information. I know you do, but all those uh, wannabe police officers and media people out in Twitter land don't have the same standards that we have. Exactly. And, and you're right, Dan. It comes down to accuracy. Uh, if the police are putting something out, there's a reason for it. It could be a public safety message. It could be that we're looking for a missing person. Uh, it, it could be advising people that weather conditions are going to change and you need to drive according to the conditions you're experiencing. For us, it's a multifaceted tool. It's a, it's a great resource. But there are those individuals out there that see things, hear things, post things, and people are not going back and checking for the accuracy. They're not checking on our social media accounts to see what the police have said. And if we haven't said anything, uh, chances are what they're seeing, there could be inaccurate information going on. You were saying there were a couple of cases in the last few days, particularly in the South End. We've encountered a, a situation in the South End where there was a call for service the other night. And it was, it was pretty significant. It did result in a significant police response. Um, but there was a great deal of misinformation. Seeing the misinformation that was out there, we clarified it by posting on our Twitter and Facebook accounts 
that we conducted an investigation after responding to the call, and it resulted in the arrest of two young persons. Now, obviously, we can't get into the specifics, though those case, that the case is before the courts, but there was a great deal of misinformation out there. And, and that spreads. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, the old Clairol commercial from years gone by. You tell two <laughs> friends and so on and yeah, so on. Yeah. And literally, you know, the, the, the word is going from one end of the community to the other and back and forth and all points in between. And the truth gets lost. So, you know, we do monitor social media. We do monitor the comments that are out there. Um, and we try to uh, put the brakes on for some people before the, the story gets so convoluted and, and misunderstood that the facts and reality are, are lost in the message. And here's the thing, too. The general public doesn't understand how policing works. They may happen upon a scene where they see one, two, or a collection of police officers. If they see a collection, they think the worst, they post something, and then it just goes like wildfire. And it may not be that big a deal, but the call that you get warrants that kind of police presence. Most definitely. And, you know, I I think when, when you look at the calls for service that police receive, um, there is no such thing as a routine call for service. And I think in the light of everything that law enforcement in this country has seen since September of last year, uh, the tragic and unnecessary loss of, of police life out doing their job, it's better for us to err on the side of caution. And we will respond with the appropriate resources that we determine and deem necessary based on the call that we're responding to. If it's a break and enter in progress, yes, you're going to see more than one car. You may see multiple vehicles, as you described. Uh, if it's a, a report of a sudden death, um, there'll be a car there. There may be a plane car there, a detective unit that shows up, and we'll maintain a presence un- until the coroner arrives and, and determines what other course of action might be necessary. Uh, again, just because there's a, a police presence doesn't mean that multiple cars means multiple issues. Uh, it comes down to officer safety and ensuring that our officers are able to do the job that they're there to do each and every day and every night safely and so that they get home to their families as well. And But that's where we get the assumptions on social media. And as it, they tell two friends, they tell two friends, the story gets embellished. It's much bigger than it, it really was. Then you have the comments about how unsafe the city of Barrie is, and that's not the case either. Uh, again, people aren't checking, but you get this this frenzy because somebody said that, and I agree, and uh, I don't like police, and uh, I don't like that person, and it just escalates from there. It does. And and I think the, the sad part is the message gets lost very, very quickly. If there is an issue with regards to public safety, the Barry Police Service will put that message out there. You know, it's our job to ensure that our community is safe. And if there's a problem in any part of the of our city, then we'll get the word out there. We will certainly let people know, you know, and, and we know that when we put messages out there about vehicles, for, for example, being stolen in a part of town, that that night, people are going to check their vehicles because they're hearing it on the news. They're seeing it on social media. If the police are saying it, there is some truth and reality to it. So let's do what we're doing. Let's rechange our our focus and 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 pivot ourselves in such a way that we're able to to do what the police are suggesting. So that when we come out of our house in the morning, the vehicle that we left overnight is still there. I wonder sometimes. 
and there's there's a blurry line, I'm sure, with this because I look at some of the comments and somebody's been arrested and they've been charged and then all the comments start and they're very, very derogatory, uh, sometimes insulting, uh, sometimes, I think, libelous. Are we close or have you had discussions of any kind where one day somebody's going to take great offense to what somebody has said and they're, they're going to launch a lawsuit? Certainly, people need to be very careful with the comments that they are making on social media. It's not any different than the conversation that we're having right now. If a threat is made, you can be held accountable for that threat, even on social media. Look before you send and post because at the end of the day, if it's from your account – you are the one that could be held accountable. The other thing we see a lot of is is people posting about something that's happened and start asking questions or, or, or they, they've seen something, but they haven't reported it to police. If we don't know what's happening, we can't respond and, and carry out that investigation. And again, uh, rather than posting it uh, to social media, you need to still do it the good old-fashioned way. You need to call. Our call takers will take information. They'll take the details. They'll take all the necessary information so that when our officer shows up at a door or a scene, that they have all those tools and resources that have been called upon to ensure that they're able to safely respond and, and they know all the information that they need to before they get to where they're going. Thanks for coming in today, Peter. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And to the good people of Barrie, we appreciate uh, the ability to, to speak to you uh, through these platforms. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us th- uh, by clicking onto our website. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're here for you. We're here to ensure that Barrie is a safe community and maintains that safe uh, community feeling. Four people, 24 hours in a window. The 705 24-hour window challenge returns in May at the 705 Recovery Center's location on Dunlop Street West, an effort to raise funds to keep the center open and keep reaching its handout to people looking for advice or just needing to be heard. Here again is Barry 360's Will Conkin with the 705's Christine Gordon and Nicole Marsh. How did the 24-hour window-a-thon, like, when did it start? How did it come to be? How did you come up with the idea for it? Our friend Todd Palmer came up with the idea back in 2021. We had been open for about eight, nine months, and we are fully self-supporting, so we run mainly on donations, and we were uh, coming to the end of our financial resources, and so... Todd came up with the idea, and we ran with it, and it was a huge success. What does it entail? Um, So the participants um, stay in four uh, windows in the front of our storefront, and they stay there for 24 hours. And it involves people donating money to play pranks on them or to reward them with things to make their stay more comfortable, bathroom breaks, you know, food items, um, anything that they desire to have in the window with them. Is it like, um, pay, do you have to pay more for a bathroom break or like pay more for like a, a nastier prank or something or whatever? Or is it kind of like any donation? Yeah. Absolutely. So the, the higher the donation, the crazier the prank um, or the crazier or I guess the more desired the item. You know, pillows and blankets and things like that will cost you more. 
Um, chairs to make their stay more comfortable will definitely cost you more. Um, things like uh, bathroom breaks will cost you a little bit less, or maybe a walk to get you outside of the window to get some fresh air will cost you a little bit less. Can uh, people who donate, can they come up with like ideas? Or Yeah, yeah. so it's all kind of free, free yes. rain. We have a standard list that we run off of that we post that everybody, just to get everybody's thoughts going. Um, but anybody can offer, and if the participant accepts the offer, then we do it. We make it happen. So nice. What's like the what's the craziest thing you've seen we, over these last? We days? waxed one of the participants yes. last year, and then we put him in a ladybug costume, and he uh, walked all over Dunlop Street. And he is a bodybuilder, so it was quite the sight. <laughs> oh my God. I would say that's probably the yeah. biggest prank that we did and yeah. he took it like a champ and was willing for the cause and it was it was awesome nice and yeah. then uh who, who are the participants again this year i know that one of our uh, yes yes so in, your rachel detta is coming into the window this year which we are so excited about she's going to be amazing our executive director bill zane will be in the window yes. Our manager, our operations manager, Sarah Cardoni, will be in the window. And then one of our volunteers and fundraising committee members named Mel O'Neill will be in the window this year. When does it happen again? The fundraising event will take place May 6th, uh, starting at 8 a.m. And it'll go for 24 hours till May 7th at 8 a.m. Can people only donate uh, like during that window or like before, after? Like in- No, we've started doing pledging now. And so people can send in requests for pranks and um, rewards now. And then we just keep a list and we do those things throughout the day on the day of. And then folks can come down and they can be a part of the prank in person if they want to come down to the center on the day of as well. How can people donate? I thought I saw on the website that do you send like an e-transfer or something or what's the setup for that? So um, on the website, you can donate through um, it's there is a donate button and it's through PayPal. Um, You can e-transfer. You can also come down the day of and donate cash. That's always that's always welcome. Um, and I just want to also note that even during um, during the event, after the event, prior to uh, the 705 is always welcome for donations, you know, because the center is well, uh, run on donations. Um, so anytime anyone wants to make a donation, it is it is more than welcome because that's what keeps keeps this place going and it's such an essential service uh, that is very much needed. I think it's really important because during COVID everything shut down and we worked really hard to earn essential status and to be able to stay open. We built a very um, safe protocol and we were able to stay open through all of COVID and um, I think it was essential because Zoom is helpful for many people, but the isolation really took a toll on some people. And being with people was, for some, more important than anything at the time, right? And so I think that's why it's important is is the isolation. I think even though we're open now and everything's kind of in full force, we're still experiencing the consequences of that isolation now in all of our social services sectors, right? So I think it was it was crucial to build a space that was able to be safe enough to provide these supports. What are all the services that the 705 offers? The 705 um, is an amazing place. So it offers any kind of fellowship um, meeting. Um, it offers trauma information seminars, um, self-care workshops, relapse prevention. There's therapy, 
um, of any kind you can find there. Um, and then we offer things on the lighter side like yoga, um, self-care workshops, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. And um, one thing I was just talking with Christine about is um, when we were reflecting on is the fact that if you come there and you don't relate with any of those resources, we will help you get connected and find the resource that you're looking for. We don't just send you out the door. We will help you find whatever it is you're looking for. We also offer, rather than a top-down approach coming from the government and streaming funds into certain sectors, we offer a bottom-up approach, which is where if somebody calls and they need grief support, because we do have qualified professionals involved with the 705, we will build a grief support group for you. Um, so we, we've done that many times, trauma, grief support. We have an eating disorder support group, everything, which has been built based on what we see the needs in the community are, which is a very different angle than most services here in Mary. Where can people find more info about the 705 just overall? They can go to our Facebook page or our Instagram. We're very active on Facebook and Instagram just by searching the 705. And we have a website, www.the705berry.com. Um, that's also another place people can go donate is uh, the705berry at gmail.com if they want to e-transfer. No denying the Love Barry sign on the waterfront has been popular since it was installed. Seems to always be groups of people, families gathered there taking pictures. But while it's generated interest, it has also generated controversy over the money raised over and above the cost of the sign. How much is left over and what it will be used for. We reached out to former city councillor Mike McCann, the man behind the sign. He's with our Ian McLennan. Why the sign in the first place? What was it? What is it meant to be? You know, uh, I wanted to help change the energy in downtown Barrie and in Barrie. Uh, we were in a pandemic and we had business owners that were screaming at Barrie City Council and the city of Barrie because they felt that we just didn't care, that we weren't doing anything. And uh, I wanted to, to stop waiting and actually start creating a better experience in downtown. So I thought to myself, hey, so many communities out here in the world have their own signs that attract tourism, but more importantly to me, attract our own to the sign and make an experience, have a starting point where maybe they enjoy our beautiful waterfront or hopefully for some of the businesses in downtown Barrie, they may go up and have a slice of pizza or maybe dinner or maybe lunch or maybe go to some of the, uh, the stores and buy, and, and buy stuff, right? Just create an experience, creating some energy, positive energy, because we were going through two and a half years of negativity. So what, what, why the Love Barry sign? What was my real purpose? It was change the energy in Barry. Civic pride's the focus, but right now we're in a situation, especially at, at, at City Hall, where there are question marks regarding the funding of the sign. Nobody disputes the fact you, through donors, raised $200,000. That was the cost of the sign. You sent those numbers to the city. The one question mark council was asking was... Uh, there was no supporting financial data accompanied. You know, there were no numbers there. So yeah, let me answer. Let me yeah, answer that for you. So, yeah. so I had a lot of communications with the CAO and the CFO of the city of Barrie, uh, as letting them know that I was very happy to share the financials with them. But the statement I got from them was that they didn't want to see the financials because legally they wouldn't. Were, they were not able to comment on them. But I think what you're asking me is no. this, Mike. Like, what happened with the money? Like, why did you raise more money than two hundred thousand dollars? Well, you know, you know, when you have a purpose, that creates passion. And I was very passionate about this Love Berry sign. And I believe that close to 90% of the people that I asked for money 
said yes. They all thought it was a great idea. And they weren't all local from Barrie. They were from all across Ontario. And so I raised almost $400,000 in cash and in kind. And for those who don't know what in kind means, it wasn't actually money in my pocket or money in the bank account. Uh, it was in kind for promotion to A, start a movement, start a mindset that we need to start loving more. We need to start being a more of a caring uh, community. And the Love Barry sign was just a symbol of that. So I raised just under $400,000. You know, a big chunk of it was in kind. A big chunk of it was going to the Loveberry sign. And again, in kind is not cash in hand. It's not cash in hand. It's promotion. Uh, What's not included is Mike McCann. I have not taken a single penny. This has been over two years that I've been running this campaign. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on gas on re- on restaurant foods, uh, dinners and lunches to get the money from the from the sponsors and and also my time. I spent I spent probably over two hundred hours of my time, maybe even more, and I haven't taken a single penny. Uh, and I feel a little embarrassed that I have to say that publicly because I never expected to take money, but I just wanted the public to know that's how much passion and purpose I had for this Love Berry sign. So what's left? Probably the big question is what's left. And what are you going to do with it, right? Well, there's roughly over $70,000 left after all the promotions, the sign, the ice sculpture, uh, the in-kind. And uh, I'm going to spend 100% of all those dollars on promoting our beautiful city, Barrie. Right, that may be in some sports tournaments, that may be in some festivals coming to town, that may be go to some charities, and let's not forget the beavers and the turtles. And that was indicated in the city council motion too that uh, a certain amount should go to the beavers and turtles. Any money raised on top of the two hundred grand that uh, no donation receipts were were provided. So you say again, close to four hundred thousand. Lot um, a certain amount was in kind, emphasizing again that is not cash in hand. What has been spent already of, of that money that you have received on top on top of the two hundred thousand? You are I, I, working on certain things you said that you can't on, discuss right now because it's still in the coming together stage. Well. I mean, I can discuss them. I'm just choosing not to discuss them because uh, this is going to benefit the city. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, it's it's their ideas right now that I'm percolating. I spent uh, five, six months on bringing this festival to the city of Barrie. That's going to completely uh, put Barrie on the map. Some sports events that can put Barrie once again on the map. Are these your ideas or because I know you indicated an interview we did in June and if, I think you've said it publicly too that you would be going to the donors to say, hey, it was your your donation in kind or cash. What do you want to do with the extra money? Have you reached out to them? And if so, how have they responded? I've reached out to all sponsors and all sponsors, quite frankly, just said, McCann. We trust you. Do what you want to do. But I am open to all great suggestions. Uh, I was with a business owner downtown Barrie yesterday, and I said to them that, hey, listen, if you're interested in doing a promotional idea, I would love to support that through Love Barrie. So uh, right now, uh, we've got a great deal of money, a lot of money, $70,000, $80,000 is a lot of money, and we're going to do a lot of good for Barrie Pride. 
Are you able to break down uh, how much of that money was in kind and, uh, uh, that wasn't cash in hand? Ian, I am, but I'm not, like, like let's let's talk about the positives here. You mean, you mean my accountant has, has all information. You know, uh, I've offered all this information to Barry City Council uh, back on the uh, March fifteenth. Right mm-hmm. uh, there was, a, in case there's any debate, there was an email trail. I've got confirmation from a couple council members as well that uh, I have offered all of the financials to Barry City Council. Why not and, just give it to them? Because uh, it's private information, Ian. I mean, uh, if you disclosed your information to and you gave a donation, I wouldn't be sharing your information, right? Uh, I am not a city councillor anymore. This was not done by Councillor Mike McCann. This was done by a private residence, and this is private information. And I will be fair, Mike, what about looking uh, the municipal municipality's uh, legal services department, uh, last council meeting, to get external legal advice on the LaBerry sign, including guidance on any potential, I'm quoting here, implications and actions that could stem from the lack of financial information provided to the city by Mike McCann. How do you interpret that? Well, uh, I pay a lot of tax in the city. Uh, I own property, and uh, that gets my uh, my blood going red, right? Uh, that they would actually spend money externally when I've already offered them the information. Uh, so, I'll, you know what I mean, uh, if I'm speaking with a little uh, a little vigor, uh, that's because I'm very irritated with that uh, with that motion and that it passed. I, you know, maybe if counselors don't understand that I have offered the finances uh, to them, I check your emails because there's a, there's an email string there. Have you had any counselors uh, or the mayor ask you for the financials, and have you presented it to them? You know, Ian, great question, and it's a disappointment because half the counselors all have my personal cell phone number. <laughs> And uh, and some just trust me, which I get. But the ones that maybe don't trust and maybe publicly have said, hey, we'd love to see your finances. Hey, guys, uh, you've called me a thousand times before. Why not call me on this issue and ask for the finances? Because my answer would have been absolutely. Okay, so Councillor such and such reaches out to Mike McCann today. Here, here are the numbers. Let's talk if you want to talk. Yeah, I will. I will. I will. I will set them up with my accountant, uh, and uh, they will have a formal meeting. I will not give any. I will not give any information out. What about publicly? Does the public have a right to see? Or? Well, Ian, like that. That answer is is simple and it's complicated. This is a private organization, and sponsors donated their private money. Uh, I think that hopefully we'll recognize here that. Zero dollars of taxpayer dollars has now gone to the Love Berry sign uh, that it was all raised privately. Uh, most of them were companies. There was actually one really amazing woman that uh, donated and she got a tax rate from the city. Uh, so the notion that I'm going to share private information, uh, I don't see the, I don't see why when I've actually hired an accounting firm to actually double check all the numbers and they are legislated by the province not to lie. <laughs> so there is no story here that any monies have been misrepresented. Uh, and once again, I have offered all the financials to the city of Barrie and not one person has come to me and said, Hey Mike, can I see them? Uh, one of the the um, statement that went out uh, from the accounting firm was to the board of directors. Who are the board of directors? Are you not for profit, or how does that? What is Heart uh, Heartberry? Yeah, so I'm not a corporation. I am a not for profit, uh, and so the board of directors would be uh, two people legally. So I am one member, and the other person, quite frankly, I'll keep that private. And also to the shareholders, what? Who are the share? The shareholders? Once again, it's not a corporation. Yeah. This is a this is a, uh, a charitable organization. So there are no shareholders. So 
In conclusion, Mike, you've raised nearly $400,000, some of it in kind. What has that some of that money uh, been spent on outside of the events that you're, you're planning on doing or helping the turtles and beavers? What, what sort of things have you done already with that money? So the, the in-kind money and the money that's been spent on La Barry has been to promote the city of Barry or to promote raising money for the sign. When the dust settles, or if it settles, or at the end of the day, you've made it clear you don't want this to be a legacy Mike McCann project. This is all about uh, the city that you grew up and raised in. Ian, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I just wanted to be the spark that maybe changed a mindset that we need to love more. City Council has indicated it's not happy with the financial statement that's been presented and is seeking outside legal advice on what it can do about it. It is also rethinking its policy on funds raised in this manner. For the record, the city says it has not fielded any questions or concerns from the public or donors to the sign about the leftover money or how it will be spent. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, MJ, and Will for their input, to Matt Ladder for weaving it all together, and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Please join us again next week.